Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Well, thanks for giving me this opportunity to speak with you today. I think last December, um, I went to Jeremy. Jeremy had mentioned that uh, he was going to be a little short on maybe getting some of the weeks filled with some of the pastors. And I don't know why I said, if you can't get a week filled, let me know. Well, he, what week would you like to do it, he says. <laughs> and I said, well, let me pray about it some more. <laughs> anyway, um, a little bit later on, he sent me an email wanting to know if I would uh, fill in for, uh, I think it was January 3rd or January 10th or January 17th. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go for the 17th. That's a ways down the road. (laughs) And I thought, well, at least maybe by then the Lord will have come and I won't have to worry about it. (laughs) You know. So I was talking to him about Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. And I was wanting to share my story because those were the, Romans is my favorite book in the Bible. And um, Romans 7 and 8 are the two chapters that really brought me to my life with Jesus Christ in a real and meaningful way with the Holy Spirit walking with me every day. And so as I was preparing for that message, God says, no, I want you to go a different direction. And I said, seriously? I don't know any other directions. (laughs) As many of you, as many, a lot of you know that I was born and raised up the river here at Julieta, about 18 miles away. Have a lot of fond memories there. And um, really enjoyed the church there. Except the part where the pastor would come out and preach for an hour and a half. Sometimes two hours. Isn't that right, Monty? He's shaking his head there. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because those were long messages. And, you know, as an eight- or nine-year-old kid, you know, they were hard to set through those times, you know. And so when my mother or dad, you know, my, bro- my brother and I, we'd cut up quite a bit. Well, I'm sure in my generation, you know, when your mother or your dad looked at you, you got the look. You know, the first few times, there were just a look. I actually got three looks. When we'd cut up a little bit more, we'd get that look where the eyebrow was about halfway up the forehead. Yeah. And when the, when the look with the eyebrow was up at the hairline, you knew you were in trouble. And I knew something was going to happen after that. I was uh, visiting with Monty the other day at our Bible study, and he had mentioned, or I had mentioned to him, I said, you guys never did go out in the back, you know. In those days, they'd take us out the back doors and kind of get us a paddle on the hind end. I asked him, how come you guys never got that treatment? He says, well, we sat in front of our folks, and they just twisted our ears until we couldn't go any." more so they straightened right up so I always wondered why he had red 
ears, and we always ended up with red hind ends. So anyway, those were some fond memories, though. But I said, Lord, you know, there's more experienced pastors in this church and that can give this message. I, I just didn't feel qualified, you know, for this message. I'll give you a little bit of a confession, though. I've been uh, studying, not a confession of sin, just a confession of... I've been studying prophecy probably off and on for over 40 years. And that's the direction he wanted me to go to today. He said, it's time to take all what you've learned and use a little bit of that. And I thought, Lord, don't you know that 30% of the Bible is on prophecy? He says, yeah, I know, I wrote it. <laughs> you know, I really didn't want to, I really didn't want to go there. You know, I even grew a beard like Moses, so I figured, you know, he'd look at me and feel sorry for me and send somebody like Aaron to speak for me. <laughs> but that hasn't happened either. I have really enjoyed this church. It's probably been some of my fondest memories. Of, being, of serving with you, side by side with a lot of you in different capacities of the church. And I know we've got some great days ahead of us. I can feel it. When I started getting my message together, I thought, okay, back to Revelations, here we go. You know what? I didn't even get into the third verse of the first chapter, and he spoke to me. I'll read Revelations 1-3 to you. It says, Blessed is the one who read aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it, because the time is near. When God speaks, you can really feel it, can't you? And of course, then I got nervous, I got afraid. <clears throat> it's hard to take 40 years of education and put it into a 30 or 40 minute, you know, sermon. So then I got to reading in John 14, 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I don't know what it is, but I don't really feel afraid today. It's probably because I know most of you, and I thank you for that. How many of you witnessed the Christmas star on December the 21st? A lot of hands there. I know that, eight, that, that day I had worked in Moscow that day with my nephew. And when I was coming down the hill, the Liston Hill, the 21st, it was dark. I could see that. Don't move that side, is that right? <laughs> anyway, I could see the stars out there faintly in the southwest. 
thought it was nice. I didn't really think too much about it. Then the next day, I believe, my wife and I, we took a journey. We went down uh, to my kids and grandkids in Nampa and, uh, uh, for Christmas. And we got down to New Meadows. We went past the mill there and broke out into the uh, clearing of the trees over uh, council. I'm sure if some of you have gone that way, you know where I'm talking about. This beautiful bright light was shining. My wife and I, we stopped, pulled alongside the road, and we got out our binoculars. When you look through that binoculars, you could see that Christmas star. I know we had that up earlier, but it was, you know, elongated. Like the Christmas star that we have seen growing up as children and adults of what the wise men had seen. Man, it just touched my heart. I couldn't help but take a deeper look at how amazing that this recurrence happened for the year of 2020. In the year Jesus was born, there was violence, chaos, political and social unrest. It was dark. The Magi found him by the way of the star, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. They followed the star until it rested on where he was, and they began to worship him. In a time where it was dark, light was brought in to our world. Jesus stepped into the chaos and brought peace, didn't he? Now we forward to this year. It's been a time of violence, chaos, political and social unrest. December 21st being a time where the day is the shortest and the night the longest. It was literally the darkest day. In the beginning of what most would say the cold, dark winter season. But on the darkest day of this past year of 2020, Jupiter and Saturn met, giving us the Christmas star. How fitting that in a time during the Christmas season, we got to see this beautiful reminder that even in the darkest time, he was there. He brought light and made all things new. So when we looked out on December 21st for the, the Christmas star, we were reminded of his power and the light that he brings to all mankind. He is perfect at stepping into chaos and bringing it into peace, isn't he? As you saw for the first time in nearly 800 years, the planet Jupiter and Saturn appeared to merge in the western sky on that day. It was the winter solace. These two planets so close together to us on Earth that it seemed to shine like a single light. The last time the two planets were this close and visible to the naked eye was in 1226, over 800 years ago. The phenomena that occurs when two celestial objects appear to pass close to each other in the sky is known, known as a conjunction. Many astronomers believe that a similar conjunction of planets may have resulted in the Christmas uh, star, which the wise men followed in search of Jesus. In fact, based on their calculations, 
a bright shining conjunction of Venus and Jupiter is thought to have occurred around 2,000 years ago. Jupiter orbits the sun every dozen years or so. Saturn orbits in 30 years, is 30 years long. That means from time to time they line up together in the sky. The last time this happened was in May of 2000. But their position in the sky was near the sun, which made it nearly impossible to see. As you know, now know, that was not the case this year. Jupiter and Saturn was only 0.1 degree apart. Some say the pair looked like an elongated star. Got a tough time with that word, don't I, Bill? God uses the regular movement of the stars and planets in the heavens to communicate with us. He created the sun, moon, and stars as signals in the sky to establish his time clock for the Feast of Israel and as signs of important events, including the birth of Jesus. If a conjunction was a useful way to announce the first coming of Christ, could a similar astronomical event be an opportunity to announce his second coming? Jesus himself and signs of the sky would signal the fulfillment of prophecy. Let's go to Luke 21, 25 through 28. Let me read that. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations. With perplexity, the seas and waves are roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I don't know about you, but I am really looking forward to that day. Does this mean I believe something significant would happen on the 21st of December? Not necessarily. I've noticed two major problems with how Christians handle Bible prophecy. One group of believers tends to exaggerate events, set dates, and hurt the cause of the gospel when they end up being wrong. I don't believe it is wise to make a public announcements that may damage the credibility of the people of God. But there's also another group with a different kind of problem. And I may have fallen into that myself. But some Christians don't pay attention to Bible prophecy at all. They ignore clear evidence and important signs. They worry about being labeled alarmless. So they, they dismiss the signs in the skies. In doing so, they miss out on opportunities to point people toward God. I believe neither of these extremes are wise. After all, those who ignored the signs in the skies leading up to Jesus' birth missed the arrival of the Messiah, didn't they? I want as many people to be ready for the second coming as possible. So I keep my eyes open for momentous astronomical events. The Great Conjunction on the 21st of December certainly falls into that category 
It was momentous. Okay, I want as many people to be ready for the second coming as possible, so I keep my eyes open for those moments. Students of Bible prophecy know there are many, many references in the Bible to signs that appear in the heavens, from blood moons to solar eclipses to the momentous astronomical sign referenced in Revelations 12. If these signs were important when God was inspiring the Bible to be written, then these signs are important today. During my younger years, and I'm sure many of you, I listened often to American Top 40 with Casey Kasem. Remember that dude? My friends and I always waited for him to reveal the number one song of the week. His show endured for over 39 years until he retired. And I always remember the way Casey closed every show he hosted. Keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. Remember that quote? Casey wasn't a pastor, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking about Bible prophecy. But I believe his advice is one Christian should follow. Watch the signs in the skies, but stay firmly grounded. I'm not using the movement of the stars in the sky to make precise predictions about the end times. I won't set dates or formulate detailed timelines, but I'm not ignoring these events either. God designed creation to proclaim his glory and to reveal himself to us. This was the case throughout the Bible, and God regularly used these signs that significant things were about to happen. Each individual sign doesn't give a full picture. But taken together, they help you see and understand what God is doing. So when rare celestial events appear on the calendar, especially during prophetical significant moments like we're living in now, filled with distress of nations and perplexity, then I will be paying attention we are in the season of the end. We, where we live here in Lewiston-Clarkston, in the valley, the seasons are changing. Winter is here. The changing of seasons always remind me of the prophecy in Joel. Let's read Joel 3, 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem... I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, when they have scattered among the nation. Now in this passage, the word we translate time in English was actually a reference to seasons. This is the voice of God speaking to the prophet Joel. When he speaks of gathering all nations down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, he is talking about the reference to Armageddon, the final battle between the forces of God and the forces of evil. God says that battle will take place. In those days and at that time within that season, after he brings back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, that's a reference to Israel. 
This is a prophecy about the regathering of the scattered Jews among the nations and the rebirth of Israel as a nation. In other words, Armageddon will happen in the same season after Israel's rebirth. Israel became a nation in 1948, as many of you know. That was more than 72 years ago. Are we still in those days and at that time? The answer is yes. Within a generation, let's consider Matthew 24. It's another prophecy about the end times. In this passage, Jesus also talks about seasons. While standing at the Temple Mount, talking to his disciples about the signs of the end of the age, and the tribulation, and the second coming, he tells them a parable about a fig tree. Let's read Matthew 24, 32 through 36. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We know what season it is based on how trees respond. The seasons show us the cycle of life and death and rebirth. And it's no accident that he spoke of the end times in terms of seasons. Jesus said no man would know the day or hour of the end, but he does seem to indicate that we will know within a larger context of time, like a season. Or in other words, we will know within a generation. The million-dollar question is to ask is, how long is the generation? This is where you have to be careful. How many of you remember Edgar Wisenot back in 1988? Anybody remember him? Edgar decided that the biblical generation was 40 years. And so he published a short booklet about how the rapture was going to happen in September of that year. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. I knew a lot of people took him very seriously. He was wrong, of course. He tried to predict the rapture several times again over the next 50, a few years. And eventually, people stopped paying any attention to him, and rightly so. The moral of the story is this. Don't listen to anyone who tell you their own personal calculation about the Bible. Don't listen to anyone who says, God told me a generation is X amount of years. According to 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Anyone who says they can pull these meanings out of Scripture is dangerous. So we need to let, let the Bible interpret the Bible. What does the Bible say about a generation. In my studies, let's read Psalms 
The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boost is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. The NIV version reads, Our days may come to 70 years, or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but troubles and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. In other words, on average, people live between 70 and 80 years. Obviously, this changes slightly as humans learn more about nutrition, uh, science, and medicine. In 1959, the average life expectancy was around 69 and a half years. In 2016, it is now around 78 and a half years, but that's still around that 70 to 80 period. But we see here the truth of the Bible. People live around that time span, 70 to 80 years. Is that how the Bible defines a generation? Let's say a generation began at the birth of Israel on May 14th in 1948. How long has it been? It's been over 72 years already. We're already past that 70-year mark. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. When Jesus said that, he was talking not just about the rapture, but about the tribulation. And that'll last seven years. We Christians won't be around during that period, but some humans who saw the rebirth of Israel in 1948 will be around for the seven years of the tribulation. If a generation is 80 years at most, and Jesus said this generation will see all these things take place, do you understand why I believe we are coming to the end of the timeline? Now, I don't set dates. I'm not going to say we have six months before Jesus comes. Edgar Wisenot tried that, and the world laughed at him because he was wrong. All I'm telling you is this. Jesus is coming soon. If you believe the Bible, 30% of which is prophecy, then you will recognize that we are living in the most prophesized period of time in the history of the world and God wants us to know that in these days of election disputes social unrest economic upheaval climate catastrophes and everything else aren't you glad that we know the future thank God for prophecy thank God we are the last generation we are approaching the end it's not going to go on forever, and this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We need to remember that as we live for God and stand up for our faith in Jesus. God intends for us to have an aggressive offense rather than a passive defense. He wants us to live our lives intentionally with the purpose of glorifying God, preparing for Jesus' return, and taking as many people to heaven with us as possible. 
In closing, I just want to highlight this a little. But Jesus has temporarily parted ways with us to be with his Father. He is preparing a place for us there. In John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said none of us knows the day or the hour of his return. The Son doesn't even know, because the timing will be be determined by God the Father. Even though we can't predict the exact moment, we do have some idea when he will return. This is because he encouraged us to keep watch and pay attention to the signs of his return. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Again in Matthew 24. When the time comes, the rapture will be announced with a shout according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. The passage in 1 Thessalonians then goes on to say, We will be caught up and gathered with him to meet the Lord in the sky. Then he will take us to the place he has prepared for us, his father's house, where we will celebrate. The traditional Jewish wedding celebration would last seven days. After the rapture, the world will experience seven years of tribulation. During that same seven-year period, believers will be celebrating the wedding supper of the Lamb. The last wedding of human history will be the marriage between God and his people, and it will take place in the new Jerusalem, the holy city where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. As we wait for the universe, for this universe transforming celebration, we should live in awareness that our bridegroom is coming soon. We keep ourselves pure and holy. We know, his, we know he prepares a place for us at his father's house. So we watch and wait for his return. As the multitude sings in Revelations 19.7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. My question then is, are you prepared? I have a little prayer I'd like to pray. And I know many of you already received Christ, but if you could, even you could repeat after me. I believe there's some here or some online that want Christ in their life. So pray after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and rebellion against your authority. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. 
I also receive your blood on the cross as the payment for all my sins. I believe I'm totally forgiven by you. Thank you for the free gifts of forgiveness and eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to change and follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and truly meant it, congratulations, you are a Christian.
There my soul will be satisfied soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. soon Katie. That's why I was sitting there. I just was reminded of Psalms 37, 1 through 2. Don't be worried with evil workers and, and envy the gains of people with all wrong, upside down ways. Soon enough, they will wither like grass, like green herbs fading in summer's heat. Let's look carefully at the level of division in America right now. Thank God for all the prophetic directions he has given us in the last year. He has given dreams in abundance, clear visions, and words of encouragement, hope, and direction. He has told us what he desires and what he will do. Do not allow what the wicked are doing to cause fear or confusion. They are fighting against God himself. Ask the Lord to pierce pride-filled hearts. Ask him to open blind eyes, enabling them to see what they are really doing and who they are fighting against. Pray for hearts of repentance. Let's declare righteousness and justice will reign over America. Let's go to prayer. Lord, you have directed us. You have released prophetic words, dreams and visions, giving us revelation. We have declared the visions and have carried out the assignments you have given us. We will continue to do so as we wait for you to act as you said you would. You are supremely confident, Lord, you are omnificent, all-knowing. Nothing's happening in D.C. The White House or halls of Congress is catching you off guard. We are all confident you will cause those working against your will to fall into their own traps. You will turn all the weapons of wickedness back on those that plot wickedness. You will pierce pride-filled hearts until they are helpless before you. And we are confident you will sustain this nation. You have heard every prayer and cry for help. You will answer. There will be a third great awakening in America, causing righteousness and justice to reign over this land. Your purposes for America are still intact and will be accomplished. Thank you for what you are doing in the church, the maturing that is occurring through these, this process. You are teaching us much. We will be stronger, wiser, and moving in greater authority when this is over. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. And all of his people said, Amen. Amen.